Welcome back to There's Always Another Podcast, a Brandon Sanderson reading and rereading podcast. As always, I'm Justin, and I am joined by... Autumnal Beth. Shamrock Sam. (laughs) And I'm Caleb. Is it getting hard to feed all of them? Don't worry about that. (laughs) I'm I'm Caleb. They don't know how to cook. (laughs) That that would be a problem. They get get raw veggies, it's fine. (laughs) Healthy. (laughs) Just a room full of Caleb's and you throwing raw broccoli at them. Yeah, here we are in our first episode of part two of Elantris, which, gonna be honest, feels like a very different book. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> what happened yeah. to our zany children's book? Yeah, things, we've, uh, uh, things do be happening. It is now a much zanier non-children's book. <laughs> yeah, we've uh, we've kicked up the pace, uh, both plot-wise and chapter-wise. Uh, and oh yeah, there's a kind of a murder cult. Oh yeah, yeah. We'll, uh, we'll we'll get to that. There's an exact point where things just go off the rails and they just don't go back on. Apparently, yeah. for the rest of the book. Yeah. I mean, I guess we'll see. Like there are only a couple chapters after it, but still. It would be amazing if it's just like oh, back to normal business. It's going to be the same pacing <laughs> that the rest of part one was. Back one on the rails. Wild episode. And then we're and back. And then another embroidery circle. <laughs> I mean, they kind of, again, we'll get to it, but, like, the characters do not react in as strong of a manner as I certainly would in this scenario. They just kind of go, oh, man, that was rough. Anyways. <laughs> yeah, we'll uh, we'll have to get to that, because there are, there are certainly some events here. Uh, yeah, we're, we're starting off here in our first episode of part two. Uh, we're doing chapters 28 through 35 today, uh, which covers a a pretty good spectrum of what's going on, though that is the way that the the three character cycle works. Uh, I end up, I, I find it really interesting how it goes, where two of our Hraithan chapters, this cycle, are both very, very short. And I think it it creates a cool kind of rhythm in the pacing. So we will we'll see how that goes down. It does, but also I wanted more Raven. <laughs> yeah, I miss our Bloodred boy. Yeah, he's not, he's not he's even not Bloodred, Bloodred anymore. <gasps> That's why he's What's having a crisis of faith. Point? Yeah, no. <laughs> well, we will we'll have to see. Let's uh, let's take a look, see what we we get into here. Starting with uh, chapter twenty-eight, the the parts have lined up so that we're beginning once again at the beginning of our. Uh, character cycle so we're starting with Raiden, just like we did starting the book and in our last episode there were some uh, there were some discoveries made and there wasn't really time to to sit and analyze it with the uh, you know fulfilling a, a last request kind of thing but now it's been time to to come back and take a look at this hidden library and see what information we can get out of it because this is this is something that exists nowhere else in Elantris. So there's there's quite a bit of possibility here. It is worth noting that they specifically say we got to keep the library a secret and we got to keep all the books down here because it's very important that they all be protected. Just put a pin in that. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. But I I think it's a reasonable idea for now. Oh, I like the idea. 
we'll just see how long it lasts. Mm-hmm. It's also quite jarring that part one ended with, I you know, we were able to catch on pretty quick that Hrathen wasn't actually committing suicide, but it was like, he drinks poison, so that's kind of what it's framed as. Turn two pages. Man, libraries are great, everyone. Books. We love the books. <laughs> But hey, we're getting all this uh, this interesting information about Andor, so it's it's equally great and equally as high stakes. <laughs> this is finally uh, an actual resource for Raoden, who has been doing his best with this single uh, this single book that Galadon had of the unusual, weird breakdowns of Andor. Uh, but now, uh, thanks to to looking through this library. Uh, and uh, Karada in particular made a, a discovery of how it's all organized. So he has he's gotten the chance to actually like read foundational texts and is is learning quite a bit of things. We've got some information on, uh, and th- these were things that that Raiden had kind of pieced together before, but now he has uh, specific info on how. There's different modifiers that can be made to each Aeon, and the way that you draw them have all these these compounding effects. Uh, and also some some musing on the uh, the nature of how the door itself works and how it's this kind of well of power that is is always trying to get out, and that Aeon door is able to give it an outlet in a very particular shape, which has very particular effects. It is like a a square in a round hole, or a triangle. Yeah, there's some uh, some analogizing that is tried to be drawn. Uh, it is interesting to note that uh, the the terminology that that kind of baffles Raiden is talking about things like frequency and pulse length. Wait, what? <laughs> uh, we've, we've definitely heard about pulse length before. It was when uh, Marsh was was telling Vin about bronze. Oh. So, yeah, Raiden uh, doesn't uh, doesn't really get any info out of that, but it is a an interesting connection there. Maybe Marsh wrote the book. <laughs> now that would be Could wild. Be. We don't know where Marsh is. Could be. I mean, we did not see what happened to him. And he was quite the the scholar of Alamancy, so he just yeah. got like blasted over to cell and was like, "Well, may as well write a book about this shit." I will. Sorry, I know this is not the book we're currently talking about. The mystery of like, hey, what happened to Marsh? I am very hopeful I get a good answer to. I will be a little bit bummed if it's just like, I I burned up. We just, I just no one saw it happen, so it didn't get uh, narrated properly. But yeah, he's, he just died immediately. <laughs> So I, I did want to double check. Okay, yeah. Uh, as cool as this theory would be, uh, I I was pretty sure of this and I just double checked. Uh, the events of Elantris do happen quite a bit chronologically before the events of, uh, of Mistborn. So what our theory would actually have to be is that Marsh came to Elantris long ago, wrote these books, and then ended up back on Skadriel. <laughs> it's true. He could have time traveled forward, but not exactly. backward. Exactly. See, it's pretty obvious that this is in the way past because there are no cans. Oh, <gasps> of course. How could uh, how could I have missed that? 
Animals everywhere, but not a can in sight. Not a can in sight. Telltale sign of civilized society is cans. <laughs> Actually, not to keep us on this this timeline track for too long, but it is kind of interesting how in Mistborn, it wasn't just the cans. It was things like, you know, pocket watches or things like that. Just a, a couple of items that seemed quite a bit more modern than the, you know, swords and and armor and all that. Uh, but in Elantris, we haven't really had uh, any of those. Like, society seems pretty well structured, I guess. Uh, but there hasn't been anything that has stuck out to me and gone, you know, how did they come up with that so soon? Well, I believe it's specifically in, in Hero of Ages, we get the detail that um, Rashek specifically, like, allowed for a couple of technologies to come to pass like pocket watches but then purposefully um suppressed others like gunpowder uh if you're wondering why that's fresh on the mind we'll put a pin in that for later as well <laughs> so the, the the studies are going to continue and and we'll see more in the future on what Raiden is able to uh, get out of this uh, but for now Raiden does need to address some of the uh, the more pressing issues in Elantris right now, uh, which is the the continued food distribution from Serene and the the people she's recruited, and the fact that they are kind of just barely fending off uh, Shaor's men, so that the the nobles distributing food don't get attacked, because we saw last time that Salen. Uh, thought that that they were starting to wear pretty thin. They were losing men. Uh, Shares men were getting better armed, and it was kind of heading towards a breaking point. So, uh, yeah, this time, uh, Saolin is saying we need to we need to make a strike at Shaor because if we don't, we're not going to be able to keep this on much longer. So he's going to try to do the thing, and we're going to see how that goes. So, so the plan, a brief review of of, of Salen's plan, uh, is to ambush the guys who are expecting resistance at the spot where they are expecting resistance, uh, which doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I feel like they would be expecting to see them where they always are. Like, uh, let me see where. Desperate last attempt at a trap. Shares men tended to take the same path every day before splitting up to try and work their way into the courtyard. Um, ambush them as they approached. So, okay, maybe you're attacking them just before where they normally attack them. But I don't it know. It does seem like a, a pretty desperate plan. I will give you that. Very hasty. And plan. it makes me wonder, why were you not attacking them at that choke point the whole time? <laughs> why did you let them split up and overwhelm you? Well, uh, fortunately, question mark, uh, we will very rapidly see the, the outcome of this and then uh, the plan of, of how to deal with the attacks from Shaor's men may, uh, may go elsewhere. Fortunately is a way to put it. <laughs> it. It's fortunate for answering these questions. That's true. Uh, we are again going to briefly... Uh, jump over to Serene's point of view uh, just for a page or so and 
she senses that things aren't, uh, th something might be about to go wrong. And uh, she's very rapidly proven correct. For, uh, for the record, there's a line where it says her political senses warned her to be wary. Uh, that comes after Rayodin directly tells her something might happen today. Be ready. Keep your guards close. <laughs> Why is it your political senses that you're like, hmm, something on my, my intuition radar is saying that there might be something afoot here. <laughs> he was hiding something from her. Something big. Kinda. We're going to be attacked. <laughs> hmm. What's your trick, spirit? What game are you playing? I think in my most charitable interpretation, I could call it a political skill to know when to accept something at face value. When somebody says, hey, there's something bad coming, to listen to them and expect something bad coming. But that's a bit of a stretch. <laughs> because, yeah, we are given just this single page of Serene's POV before the inevitable finally does occur. Shares men have broken through uh, Salen's defenses and they are coming for the, the group of nobles with their food and it is not going to go well. Uh, but fortunately for this group, uh, Eondel was one of the, the nobles accompanying them today and he continues to demonstrate that he is is definitely the the most prepared for this sort of combat in this book uh, because he is able to to mount a defense as everyone starts to to retreat I'm a little disappointed it wasn't the end game pose but <laughs> yeah there was there was an opportunity here this, this would have been a time to pay off the whole training all the noble women to sword fight plot line but now let's leave it to eondale still yeah a little bit chauvinistic that oh, asshole then. saving people's lives <laughs> yeah, jeez murkin these guys uh but uh yeah eondale is able to mount enough of a defense uh shares men are not the most prepared overall they are fairly instinctual but they were definitely not expecting a well-trained healthy well-armed soldier to to resist them and so they're able to get out of the gate but uh serene has has made some realizations uh, on the way out and i don't know if they're all strictly correct like there there's a lot of things that could be explained here that aren't but i will acknowledge that this is perhaps not the best time to do so because <laughs> Serene sees these Shares men who clearly were not being uh, fed and supported by Raodin. And the the promise was to distribute the food to to any Elantrian who who needed it. And here we have pretty clear evidence that these people were being kept back. And uh she accuses spirit of of being a tyrant uh, and he says he is and i think that's a somewhat harsh take from Rayodin on his own position but that's how this uh this scene closes 
well, for, for Serene, we have one little bit after here, but yeah, that's how they're going to, to split up for now. And, and that's kind of a, a rough way for it to, to end. Yeah, yeah, I agree with what you said about this is not the best time to be like, no, let me explain the political situation of Elantris. But Rayodin, I feel like you could have done yourself a bit of a favor and been he like, gives up very something. fast. There's, yeah, this this there's there's more here than meets the eye than run off to try and help your friends or whatever. Not just be like, yep, you were right. I'm the worst. Peace. Yeah, that's exactly how I was feeling. Mostly because it reminded me of Dead Space Three, which is never a good thing. Because <laughs> um, there's because what you because re- what everyone was clamoring for in the incredible up until Dead Space Three franchise of Dead Space was a romantic triangle, and it's gonna spoil Dead Space Three for you. So sorry. Um, the romantic rival at one point starts shooting at the main character because he's basically gone fully insane, and you have to kill him in self defense. And then the romantic interest is like Isaac, how could you do that? And Isaac is like, yeah killed him and like doesn't even mention that it was self-defense <laughs> and he was actively being shot at and it's like yeah give, give yourself a little credit i know it's not the time to explain every last detail but you don't just like shrug and give in to the idea of well everything's ruined forever now um which is made more hilarious because in dead space 3 like that happens and then 10 minutes later isaac has a complete 180 and over the radio is like Come on, Ellie. He was trying to kill me. What was I supposed to do? It's like, why didn't you say that the first time? What? What is this? Um, so maybe Rayodin will do that next time he sees Serene. I don't know. Um, but yeah, this was also like a a very big um, backfire of the why even say that you killed Shayor plan. Because now you don't really have the excuse of, yeah, they were insane and are always trying to kill people because you said Shayor was dealt with. Um, so, yeah. Why'd you do that, Rude? <laughs> and then one more thing to actually wrap up the chapter itself uh, is Rayodin saw that uh, Saolin had, had gone down during the fighting and goes to check on him and he has, uh, his his pain has finally kind of caught up with him uh, and we've lost Salen. And then at the very end, uh, this is, I think, I think this was something that Brandon was very, probably very interested to do with the three rotating chapters is at the very end of this chapter, the gates of Elantris are opening. And, uh, as we close chapter 29, we will once again, get a, 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 our attention drawn here before in chapter 30, we will actually see what is happening. Yeah. Losing Salen was fairly rough. Like, I, it's not like he was an incredibly complex character, but the the fact that his last words that he's repeating over and over again were how he failed is really sad. Because like most yeah. of the Hoed, at the very least, are like reminiscing on how things used to be and how it's oh, I, I what well, used to be so beautiful. And like some of them are, you know, off putting and disturbing, but they're not just flat out depressing and. Uh, this one very much is. This, I think, is our first like sad death in yeah. the book. This is the first one that has this much impact for us, the readers, I think. See, I got my eye on these things because I'm still laboring under the assumption that this was a children's book. 
And then Brandon <laughs> changed his mind and said, cultists and murder. And murder, yeah. We have had one or two beheadings before this one. Yeah, but to Sam's point, it wasn't it wasn't anything with the the emotional stakes built up for the reader. I would have yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. I think more specifically Caleb was refuting my children's book fair yeah characterization you, you are but it, no I, I think you are very much correct that yeah this is definitely this all of a sudden gets really real really fast i i'm going to put a a pin uh for this section and perhaps from some upcoming ones uh way back in episode two sam you did make a request to reduce the cast list so Yay. hopefully that isn't going to go too far oh god <laughs> But yeah, we will we'll take this on to chapter 29 and see what uh, this will do for Serene. Uh, the first thing that we see with Serene is her reaction, uh, again, immediately to what she sees as uh, Spirit's betrayal. And it's, a, it's an interesting emotion for her because there was this kind of back and forth of... Uh, her her first reaction to him was very positive. She was she kind of automatically liked him. And then in a reaction to that, she kind of consciously said, I don't want to get too close to him. I'm worried about, you know, him taking advantage of me or or getting the better of me politically. So I'm going to be a little standoffish. And then that ended up kind of wearing down, and she still did kind of like him. And now here she's sort of proven right in that there was something going on and and she should have been wary and it's it's both like frustrating and also kind of uh, proving that she was correct all along so it's a it's an interesting mix of emotions for her there Uh, she does not have a lot of time to to ponder that though she'll have to get back to that later because the the personal guard of the palace of King Iodon is headed for Elantris, and they they look like they are ready to mount an attack. And so Serene decides that she has to do something about that very rapidly, and so uh, gets her her driver to get her to the palace ASAP, and is going to have some words with Iodon. I do really like the clever kind of misdirect of. We just left Rayodin on the gates opening again, and it's it says he spends a long time with Seowen's body. It's unclear how much time has passed, but very much seems like the gates opening is going to be an attack from the troops. Um, mm-hmm. And we will find out later that that does not actually end up going through, but the readers kind of led to think that that's what's about to happen because we just saw the gates opening from Rayodin. Yeah, it's it's interestingly written because you could read it as, you know, the way I read it was like, bang, bang. Like, mm-hmm. um she leaves gates close gates open but i like to think i don't know if maybe it is supposed to be bang bang i don't know but the way it seems to me is like rayodin just gets lost in time crying over his now dead friend and then it's like hours later or a while broadly speaking later gates open We'll, we'll, we'll get there once we see who the gates opened for yeah, I kind of interpret it the same way. It's it just kind of indeterminately crying over Seolin for who knows how long, um, even though it feels like it's one thing after the other. So yeah, let's see uh, what happens with the, the troops heading for Elantris. 
what happens is that uh, Serene just kind of goes off on Iodon here. Hell yes. I know this word. This word is almost always used ironically nowadays. Legitimately a good girl boss moment coming up here. <laughs> God damn. Like this did basically everything to redeem Serene here in my eyes. Go get him, girl. God damn. <laughs> Go off. It's about time someone did. <laughs> but then she, but then I lose all respect to, uh, uh, for her once again a little later when she taps her cheek again. <laughs> That's the kicker. Some crimes can never be forgiven. <laughs> never. Ever. <laughs> Fucking toddler cheek tapping. I think maybe my favorite detail of this scene actually comes before she gets into the room and it's the guards outside of the study who just see her coming and they're like all right go on in like they just don't even try anymore (laughs) yeah and i think it's interesting how there's not like one of the things that she does say during this whole scene is that she has she kind of has leverage in that uh, Iodon is really only holding the throne because of the the money that he earned from a very favorable deal with Tiad, which she had significant influence over. And so there there's some kind of leverage there of, you know, oh, the the king only held his throne because of me. But for the most part, this is just like tearing into him on a personal level. <laughs> And it works. Like, Iodon is not prepared to deal with this. I mean, I don't know how anyone could be prepared to deal with Serene's nearly six foot height. What a monster of a person. What what a horrifically (laughs) tall giantess. Put a pin in that, by the way. (laughs) Put a pin in her being tall. Specifically put a pin in her being nearly six foot and being described as inordinately tall. But yeah, this is uh, this is actually a, a fairly immediate turnaround resolution to the, the troops heading for the, the gate. Uh, because Serene is, is able to, to force Idon to rescind that order uh, and sends a, a runner to deliver that message. And we see in the, the very next part that they made it in time. The The soldiers have been stalled by the, the order being delivered. And then shortly after she arrives, there is actually a, an order to return to your posts and, and, and go away. So despite the betrayal that she just suffered in the last chapter, uh, Serene has has kind of saved the, the people of Elantris here with the, uh, the army then retreating again, this gives Serene some time to kind of just observe what has, what has gone down. Didn't really have the chances as she was fleeing the city in the last chapter. Uh, but this is, I mean, Serene has seen Elantris from the wall top and she's seen it up close during the, the food distribution but this is another moment of perspective here of seeing the aftermath of the, the chaos in the last scene where there are some of the people who uh, Eondel fought off. Uh, they're not quite dead. They're still kind of like 
crawling or, or writhing around. And that's quite a disturbing sight for her. And then here's actually our, um, our timeline link up, which is Serene can see spirit there trying to tend to, or maybe just mourning over the, the dying Salen. Oh Lord. Things get, things just get ugly fast in this section. Yeah, they sure do. <laughs> and and we're only like halfway through the process of things getting ugly. This is, oh, yeah. this is the least zany thing Serene experiences in this episode. Right. <laughs> we get some some more Mistborn DNA in a very strange way. She's looking down at Spirit and she's trying to be mad at him and she can't. She's like, tyrant or not, he had seemed like a good man. Perhaps only a tyrant could lead in a place like Elantris. Like, are we really foreshadowing authoritarianism is good, actually? Is that what we're doing, Brando? You know, when when we had that, that through line in Hero of Ages, where we talked quite a bit on the podcast about what is, what is this book and what is Brandon saying about authoritarianism, I was thinking about some other Cosmere works, and... Like, it's not always a, a strict rehash, but this kind of theme of, you know, what does it take to lead in a time of crisis and what kind of things can or can't you excuse is something that comes up more than once. And it's interesting to to see how that is uh, is developed in each book. You know what's required in times like these? Blood sacrifices in the sewers. Of course. <laughs> the scene to close the chapter... Uh, gives Serene a a bit of of much a much needed break uh, as she has returned to Uncle Keen's home, uh, which is a a safe place both physically and also she's with people who she trusts and and who support her. Uh, she gets a hug from the very large Uncle Keen, which is is important. True. Uh, and. And then she gets uh, pestered by children in a way that in, in this moment is at least, I think, a little more endearing to me. Like, I've talked about how I, I really don't really like Kays and Dayarn, but that whole crisis going on and then and then Kays going, did they really try and eat you? <laughs> like, all right, I, I will. I will acknowledge that. <laughs> I will allow it. I don't know, like. I, Kaisei and Dayron are not my favorite. It is very funny that uh, uh, Justin, you really seem to have it out for these two. I just find that very fun. Like, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why it's these specific two kids that piss you off more than anything, but I find it incredible. Hey, I, I have to dislike something, right? I can't just say literally every time, oh, I'm looking forward to what's coming up. <laughs> not looking for this it's two fucking kids are in this chapter exactly <laughs> those two goddamn kids they're kind of growing on me not a lot a little bit not a lot but a little <laughs> but yeah the other news that got out was uh serene's verbal takedown of iodon uh, and everybody here is is definitely a fan of this finally occurring as are all of us uh, Keen is a little worried about uh, how Idon might react in the future. Is he's he's going to need to kind of come down harshly on things after being shown up like this? 
Uh, and we'll see how that goes. Mm. <laughs> hmm. Put a pin in it. Gosh, who could have foreseen blood sacrifices as the drastic measures that he takes? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's like this happens in this kind of podcast is we're kind of like talking around things that have happened in the section that we have read and presumably all you have if you're following along with this. Uh, but we haven't gotten to on this particular recap yet. Iodon is messed up in a whole bunch of weird stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll get there. But what I'll say for now is uh, this section is a whole lot funnier when you picture Iodon as uh, Shrek's dad. <laughs> or father-in-law, I, I guess. I yeah. I was, that casting's really good. I was also going to say in terms of character who on the outside pretends to just be this very like standard politician guy but secretly is part of this secret cult to try and maintain control of his city timothy dalton casting is way funnier in hindsight as well i think we we both found very like in hindsight very funny uh castings for this character for wildly different reasons but both funny so, yeah, and then we we close uh, chapter 30 once again with uh, something unusual happened related to Elantris. <laughs> and we go into chapter 30 uh, and we now have the uh, the on page confirmation of uh, what exactly this poison was. Uh, Hraitha has succumbed to potion of become Elantrian. Yeah. Uh, and is uh very proudly and and solemnly uh accepting his fate which is the way that Hraithan would do this and it, i think it's a really compelling scene it is and it's good to see uh five episodes later my Hraithan become a lantrian production come true yeah oh. that was uh i i realized last episode i had that in the the predictions in this book because of the the volume in which they were made early on in relation to how many chapters there were i had to shunt stuff around and kind of judge like <laughs> how sure were you on that or what part of your prediction were you making it in and so i put some things in the the would be interesting column uh one of which was uh Hraithen gets shaoded which doesn't quite happen but 100 percent is is remarkably something like that did did occur the net effect is the same he have become an elantrian and diloff hates him which was and diloff hates already him. yeah <laughs> i do like that uh Freithen did specifically present himself publicly when Diloph was around again just to fuck with him <laughs> I'm still obsessed with this interpretation that this is all in Hraithan's head and Diloph fully like has no emotional investment in Hraithan just sees him as like a standard normal boss that he does not have any ill will towards and Diloph is looking at all this just like oh shit okay um all right, guess I'm in charge now. I hope I hope Hraithan's doing okay. 
And meanwhile, Raven's like, I fucking got him. I fucking showed that guy. Ha ha! Idiot. <laughs> and uh, not to... Uh, most of that is, is I say jokingly, but we also get the detail of um, Omen, like uh, Father Omen doing a bunch of, of these kind of rituals to prepare him for Elantris. And Hraithan says that the Aralid's eyes betray just a hint of satisfaction. And... I have to believe that's in Hraithan's head. Like, that has to be a projection, because I don't think that's at all in line with who Omen is as a character. And if you do believe that that is Hraithan projecting, then, like, yeah, all of these chapters... I don't know if you could ever say Hraithan is the most reliable narrator, but I don't expect him to ever <laughs> be just flat-out lying. Um, this is a thing where I think Hraithan is just interpreting something incorrectly, which I think makes it very interesting to kind of keep that in the back of your mind as he's continuing to try and read other people. Yeah, no, I think it's it's interesting. I'm thinking over uh, Sanderson's catalog as a whole uh, and partially because he, for the most part, sticks with, with third-person narration. Uh, he doesn't really go into like works that are known for having an unreliable narrator, where part of the whole experience of reading the book is figuring out what you can and can't trust from your narrator i don't think it it ever really goes that far but we definitely do see some some coloring of the uh of of what we see based on whose pov we're we're watching over and definitely some things that that do or don't get mentioned based on who that person is so yeah i i think it's uh it is kind of interesting to see how Hraithan reads these characters who we've seen in other contexts and have seen in, in kind of a different light. But yeah, the, the entire contents of this chapter are Hraithan's ceremonial preparations for being sent to Elantris. He gets there. Uh, he, he has to wait because this ceremony requires a very specific time of day. And then... Yeah, we we see the the Elantrian ceremony once again. He gets given the 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 offering of food. Uh gets put into the city and he drops to his knees and begins to pray to Jadith over and over again and that's where we see the scene trail off. And again, I I really like I want to see more Hraithan because it's it's probably the most interesting I think of the three viewpoints, but I like the way that we just get these brief snippets of what's happening to him throughout this section. You got to keep the people wanting more. <laughs> With that part set up, uh, we are going to go back to Rayoden, who is going to try to uh, pick things back up after the, the disaster in the courtyard. Uh, and he starts with uh, taking Saolin to the pool in the mountains and letting him, I guess, kind of go away. And it specifically notes that, um, you know, some of the Hoed get kept in the, the Hall of the Fallen, but one, Saolin's wounds were quite bad, and two, specifically hearing him say, I have failed my Lord's spirit, would have just been too much. And that's a, that's a heartbreaker. Even the characters are like, yeah, that one's too depressing. I, I, I can't deal with that. <laughs> I'm a little curious um, why 
I, I guess maybe you just want to like wait and see for a little bit, but why would you not just take all of the Hoed to the lake at this point? Because you're willing to do it for Saelin. And I, I know there was the little bit of, hey, maybe if we talk to them and we give them food, like maybe they will start to come to their senses. But the closest they've come with that strategy is with the old guy whose literally only demand was, please take me to the lake. Like, right. you, I, I feel like it's probably going to be okay to to let them go. Um, so it's it is interesting that for for the time being, Rayodin appears to want to keep the Hall of the Fallen going. Yeah, I was going to comment on that too because I think I think it's a little bit messed up. At the in the very first chapter we read, it notes that like we we flagged they're keeping this library secret, and they also keep the pool a secret. Because Rayodin knows that too many people will take that option if it is presented to them. But then you pick your best friend and put him in it because you're extra sad about it. I, I don't know. I, I I think that's a whole moral quandary I don't really want to get into. But I it it just feels a little weird the way he's picking and choosing like that. Well, I, I agree, but I love it because of that. Like, <laughs> you're right. This is fucked up. It's that, yeah, he's giving special treatment to his buddy and he's not giving that choice to anyone else. And I think that is fucked up. But I think that also, I, what I do really love about these Rayodin chapters is how much of, it does a very good job of exploring what are the upsides and downsides of being an optimist um, because the whole the whole dejection he faced with Serene was him realizing, yeah, I failed. Um, I couldn't protect Seolin. My planes didn't work. And when you're an optimist, but you're in charge and something goes wrong, I feel like you're very likely to blame yourself and put all the, the guilt on yourself. And here it's like, yeah, he's an optimist because he wants to think that there might be a better way for everyone and he doesn't want them all to give up. But he's so optimistic about that that he's not willing to actually tell anyone and give them the choice of doing that. Mm-hmm. So there comes a point where the optimism almost overpowers morality in a really weird, strange way that I think is fascinating. Um, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> and that's just the first like tiny scene of this chapter. <laughs> oh, shit. Yeah, the rest of the chapter. <laughs> Uh, The next thing that we see is, uh, and we definitely talked about this, we were wondering if this would happen, uh, was even without the the disaster of the beginning of this part, Serene's food supplies were not going to last forever. And even though Raoden was was quite distraught about kind of everything that he had built up being undone by the, the free food, now that that everything has gone down, people are coming back. And it it takes a little bit, and it starts very slowly, but New Lantris does return to some of what it had been built up to, because people, the, the people of Elantris still do need some things, and so they're they're willing to come back and try that again. Yeah, and they come back to new materials and new tools. That's awesome. You want to talk about more fucked up stuff that Raiden has to think about and go through. He's been beating himself up a lot for letting Shayor's men get through and causing a problem. But 
reading this and seeing that, yes, the people will come back once Serene stops, in a really fucked up way, if he had just never protected the caravan and just let Shear's men attack immediately, for new Elantris, that would have been the optimal solution. Like, that he wouldn't have lost anybody if that had happened. Yeah. Yeah, that's a weird one. Yeah, it's fucked up. I love it. It's, it's really interesting. <laughs> In our zany children's book? <laughs> Uh, with that all settled, there's uh, finally a chance for uh, Raoden and Galadon to come to terms with the whole Kraithen has been thrown into Elantris thing. Uh, and it starts out with them being very puzzled about this because uh, another thing that we've talked about before is how uh, the nature of Elantrians seems to be very territorial. It happens to people from Arlon to people from Tiad because there's a very strong tie to Arlan and some people from Duladel because it's it's a close border and they they share a lot uh, but someone from Fjordan becoming a Lantrian is unheard of so they they're already confused by what's happening there and I I would be curious uh, I think from our previous discussion there was already a uh, a, a pretty healthy skepticism here of what Hraithen was doing. Uh, and I, I can't remember when I read it for the first time myself, if I thought that Hraithen's uh, potion was like genuinely just a way to induce the Shayad and this had actually happened. And yeah, I like, I, I'm trying to remember if this was starting to to point to anything of like, is there something strange going on here? Yeah, it's a little weird because um, either, you know, as we learn later on, he's, he's healed. Um, either A, it's a miracle. He was healed by the power of Jadath, Jadath be praised. Or B, he uh, he spent a bunch of time praying for something that he knew was going to happen anyway, which seems overly performative to me. You know what I mean? Because he's, he's praying, like, please heal me, Jadeth. Right, if you, right. If you took a temporary potion, then you know you're going to get healed anyway. I I don't know if I should speak now or wait till theory section, but I do have a, <laughs> a, a good amount of thoughts on that as well. We'll see. We'll, we'll get through the uh, the other couple of, of Hraithen scenes, at least. And then we'll see what uh, what happens from there. All right. Put a pin in it. There's a lot of pins this episode. Gotta put a lot of pins everywhere. There's <laughs> lots to talk about. They're everywhere. <laughs> Bust out a whole corkboard. <laughs> so uh, one thing that we do see in this scene, which is just an offhand thing, but it, it would look pretty cool, uh, is uh, Shayor's men are are still uh, still a threat, and Hraithen did come in with the the ceremonial food basket, and so they're going to uh, they're going to try to come take his food. And Raoden is trying to do a good thing and is trying to help anyone who would suffer that fate. Uh, and uh, they were they were too late. And Freythan just beats the shit out of them. Of, of the of Shara's men who attack him. And then he just goes back to his praying. Fucking awesome. I, I really <laughs> love that the description of them running trying to save him, and then it says they were too late. To save Shayor's men. I, the the <laughs> dot 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 there is really fun. Yeah. Uh, this has kind of catalyzed uh, Raoden with the with the attack. And now with this seeing that, that Shayor's men are going to keep attacking. 
he has decided that he needs to to take kind of more final action against Shayar uh, and is going to go do a thing. And this is, it's been a little bit, but we do have uh, a, a return to tradition where he has dragged Galdon along for something uh, without fully explaining what he's doing. <laughs> I don't know. They seem to have kind of a plan once once they actually do it. There's there's some uh, coordinated choreography in terms of drop the shit and then step aside and walk out. They don't they don't even have to say anything for that to happen. That's fair. I I think the the thing that is is less explained is kind of the the hopes and the consequences of it. But we we see yeah. those very shortly after, which. Uh, uh, Rayodin and his his kind of trusted few. We have Galadon, we have Karada, uh, and we have uh, Dasha, who is one of uh, Karada's kind of lieutenants. They are uh, they they take uh, they take some some bundles. They go marching right to uh, Shayor's kind of home, which we saw last time. You can just walk up to. They walk right in the front door. They. Uh, drop what they've been carrying, which is uh, bundles of of corn that they've been gathering, and then they just walk right out. And the the food is such a significant distraction that they they can do that. They can just go in, make their action, and leave. And the consequences that we see of this is uh, what what he gave them we saw earlier it's seed corn it's not ready for uh for just easy consumption and so these these wild men if they want to to be nourished by this they do need uh they need some little bit of civilization and so they are going to come to new elantris and uh and see if that will will give them what they want and rayodin says i'm not going to do it for you but you're free to do it yourself and that is uh that's the 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 action that he's taken and the end of our Rayodin chapter for now what do you want use your big boy words <laughs> i mean kind of yeah uh this was very straightforward but i honestly really really loved this this scene this gimmick to get rid of shaor's power um it at, at, at the one point he's uh where is it Rayodin says that his plan is founded in his belief in the rational nature of the human soul. And I really thought it was going to be, all right, for the third time, he's just going to walk up <laughs> to the gang leader and talk to them and convince them to not be insane anymore. And then that's not at all what the plan was. It was completely different. Uh, it was a very nice uh, misdirect and surprise that I thought was pretty cool. Yeah, and I got to say, I'm just, I'm looking forward to seeing Shayor march right into that camp and say, hey, everybody, I'm sane now. I'm, It's me. I'm redeemed. And... We gotta complete the trifecta and have all the gang leaders together. And, you know, she's such a little girl. Like, she deserves a second chance. It's gonna be really exciting to see how that plays out. Put, That's right. She put, is just an innocent little a, girl. Put, put a pin in it. <laughs> put a pin in it. <laughs> I mean, we do have to wait on that because uh, what we next have to get through is... Uh, a chapter that is about a third the size of our entire section where everything happens. <laughs> everything happens so much. <laughs> Very suddenly. Whiplash suddenly. Uh, yeah. 
as a big astronomy guy, it says a lot that, like, this chapter begins with, ooh, there's got to be an eclipse. And then that's, again, the least interesting thing that happens in the entire chapter. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the chapter starts with the most pointless and weird conversation in the world. Hey, are you back to wearing black? Oh, it's actually blue. Okay. What the fuck was the point of that? <laughs> if we're not going to see the embroidery circle, we at least have to see embroidered clothing. Look, there's two things that are certain in the Cosmere. Roshek has never made a mistake, and Serene <laughs> never wears black, even though it explicitly says this is one of the first chapters in which she finally is not wearing black. She's been required to wear black for the majority of the book so far. <laughs> So what uh, what Serene is heading to uh, is a- another party, which it's it's been a bit since we've we've had one of these, uh, and this one Serene actually had uh, a bit of a, a hand in setting up, because we find out it is a it is a party around a a lunar eclipse that they are going to to watch, which I'm going to briefly tangent and and second uh, Caleb's astronomy enthusiasm uh to say that uh next april there's going to be another solar eclipse and if you live anywhere that you can reasonably go see it i highly urge you to do so because seeing a total solar eclipse in person is just incredible that only relates to the book because we're talking about eclipses but i thought it was worth saying it's quite right you should say it (laughs) So yeah, we start with uh, a good chunk of the old uh, politicking at at this party. We're seeing uh, who's attending, who's uh, accompanying whom. Uh, Diloff is here, which is sketchy. We we get yet another instance of Serene does not do anything to find out any information she just gets told the information for free because royale has all of the details on Diloff, and she's just like what I, I, I barely even know that guy i saw him like once what do you mean he's important i can't wait for serene to do something let's get to the rest of the chapter <laughs> where serene does some things so yeah we're we're setting up more of the party um there's some some banter with Serene and Royal. When I was reading this, I was thinking, if you just cut out the the whole section where Royal's being a massive creep, his character is is really fun. Like I like this guy, but there was that whole section where he was a massive creep. Bring <laughs> this guy in here. Get rid of that other thing. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was actually just chatting with Beth about how um, there's a character in Succession who is very funny and I like I love his dialogue. The performance is great. He would probably be my favorite character, except he does something in the pilot episode that's like, that's legitimately unforgivable. This guy is a terrible person and I don't like him. And <laughs> for the entire rest of the series, I was like, he's close to being my favorite. But except for that one thing at the very beginning, I can't do it. It's 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 Roman. If you remember the pilot, you know which scene I'm talking about. But this is a great pump up speech in, in our book here. Yeah, 
All right, Serene. It's, Snap the it's so fuck out of it. <laughs> it's it's frustrating to come on the heels of the uh, the weird massive creep scene because I really love this like bottom half of page 363 is like you were just saying Sam just like serene snap out of it this is what it means to be a leader get to yeah this is the second time in the Cosmere where in real life if someone's going through a very emotionally uh, disturbing or difficult time telling them to just get over it is usually not the solution but in this particular fictional book, I really, really love it. <laughs> it reminds me of, um, there's a legitimate, apparently, uh, like, psychological technique, I guess. This is something they teach psychiatrists. Like, if your patient is having an episode, you snap them out of it by saying something that's a total non sequitur. So, uh, for example, like, if your patient says, I'm having an episode, you counter with, is it the beach episode? I've I've heard that that as well. Just like distract them with something completely different to where their brain has to go. What? What the fuck? Why? Why did you say that? What? Yeah. She got too wrapped up in herself. She needs somebody to say, "This is the eclipse episode, Serene." <laughs> well, let's uh, let's see how well that goes. I mean, for the for eclipse, a little bit, for a little bit, it goes well. Seems like it's just going to be filler, but then in the second half, after the commercial break, it really goes somewhere else. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this whole chapter can kind of be summed up as Serene's plans go exactly how they were supposed to go. <laughs> Subtext: Oh God! <laughs> right. Uh, one thing that uh, is part of Serene's plans. Uh, is that uh, Iodon is here attending the party. Uh, there's a, a note from her that uh, that was kind of the, the purpose of the whole thing. And, uh, you know, there, there were several layers to organizing this when it happened, but doing this with, uh, with Royale hosting this big party, it had to be a significant enough event that Iodon would be obligated to come just from a, a kind of society expectation thing. And that part has succeeded. He is here. It's so funny to me to uh, see all the all the comments of like, what are you planning, Serene? What's your plan? Why'd you pick it for this time and this day? Why'd you schedule an eclipse party for outside and during an eclipse? Yeah, well, sh shouldn't the eclipse party be enough of a reason? Like, I, I guess maybe these people just assume that Serene is literally always planning something, which may be the case, but just go watch the eclipse. It's cool. <laughs> but but why not have the eclipse party, like, inside and on Tuesday? Why do you have to do it outside during an eclipse? <laughs> if only I knew your schemes. <laughs> there, was, there was one last solar eclipse. There was one Facebook comment that got roasted because someone was having an eclipse viewing party. Mm -hmm. And someone commented, could we reschedule it for the evening? My children are in school and I'd love for them to be there. It's like, you can't reschedule the sun, ma'am. That's not, <laughs> it's not an option. This has literally been set in schedule for thousands and thousands of years. <laughs> yeah. Every now and then we'll get people complaining in my local area about deer crossings and being like, can we move them down the road? <laughs> oh yeah, let's just... Let's tell the deer. Yeah. <laughs> Somebody, somebody phone him up. <laughs> since, since we're still on astronomy, though, 
<laughs> I do. This is a minor detail, but I, I, uh, another thing that gets brought up in terms of astronomy in this chapter is um, apparently the aeons are also in some way based on constellations, which I also thought was really interesting and cool. Um, that's just very briefly touched upon that uh, Serene is like looking into the sky, trying to find her own aeon. Um, yeah. Let's see. What else do we have here? Uh, we have another uh, point of serene's plans being in motion where ash arrives and confirms that uh, uh another woman has disappeared from the palace and then serene says nothing about that and probably should have <laughs> probably just my imagination well <laughs> oh, no Ser- just... serene like has a theory here and like suspects foul play and just doesn't tell anyone else <laughs> also wait sorry what is her theory she mentions the cook and then she finds out like oh the cook's not up to date. what did she think the cook was doing what when did that theory happen i don't think it's the cook i think she just suspected that in some way the people who were disappearing from the palace was connected to whatever the hell else was going on and no, no, so i found it I found 366. it uh, on, on page 363. Oh, her okay. dinner had come late, and though the cook insisted it was because one of her serving women had thrown off, Serene was certain it was simply because no one wanted to face the fearful princess's wrath. So she did not suspect foul play. She just thought everyone was scared of her. <laughs> oh, okay. I, I had forgotten about that line because on the middle of 366, when she finds out that the cook like did actually lose someone, she says, perhaps she had been too quick in judging the cook and her minions. <laughs> <laughs> I think that might just be a Serene-ism where anyone who is in a kind of subservient role is a minion. <laughs> Sometimes I just gloss over important things here. Because I definitely did write in my notes who fucking cares but okay about <laughs> this person running off to be fair look i thought this was more like seasoning of like oh the peasants are in revolt i didn't think that she was kidnapped so that she would be fucking sacrificed on an altar by the (laughs) king personally i i don't blame you for not assuming that (laughs) if you did call that early i would have been concerned yeah there's a lot uh, yeah i i know we've gotten the plot line of the women are disappearing. And we've also had the Just Scary Mysteries mentioned like twice. I don't think any rational person would have been able to guess that this is exactly what was happening. <laughs> Caleb and I were also talking the other day about how it, it kind of feels like part one is just like laying all the Chekhov's guns on the table so that they can start firing in part two. But this one was like a hidden <laughs> secret gun that you did right. like, oh shit! <laughs> Right. He's doing what in the sewers? <laughs> yeah. Chekhov's booby trap. Exactly. Yeah, or like Chekhov's <laughs> um, like uh, list of random metal objects that need to be assembled together to become a secret gun. Like that's <laughs> that's what it is. Because like, like I said, you could point to, hey, there's a mystery happening with all the women. Hey, there's just scary mysteries have been mentioned a couple times. Hey, there's someone in the secret passages. But you would not in any circumstance be able to put together the gun until you saw someone else do it and then you go oh shit there's a gun there <laughs> oh god i just realized uh 
My thought of who's sneaking through the secret passages was very wrong. It is not wholesome at all. <laughs> mine, mine was also uh, wrong. I didn't have a wholesome reason, but yeah, I was also off on that point. Let's see. Uh, we we do still have, like, there. there's quite a bit of just party banter. And we, we've skipped ahead to what is honestly the important part. Uh, so I just, I want to see real quick if there's anything that we do want to, to discuss during the party itself, because we are all a mite distracted by the, the blood sacrifices. The, the blood sacrifice in the corner of the room. Yeah. Uh, there's, I, yeah, there's stuff in here. It's it, again, it feels like a filler episode, but there's still, there's still stuff. There's a couple of things. Yeah. Um, one thing that I tagged in my notes is uh, Royale doesn't want to be hanging out with Idan tonight because every noble will be begging for Edan's barony. You know, Edan, the the guy who lived in the number one shittiest location of all in all of Erlon and was recently destroyed by mudslides to the extent that it ruined him financially. Let's go for I want that land, baby. <laughs> I mean Idan, please. It is real estate. Like it's free real estate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying not to go exactly there, but but it was inevitable. Yeah, no, it, I, I agree, Sam, in that it, it does not seem like the most enviable position to try to put yourself in, but I guess you seize the opportunity if you can, maybe? I don't think Edan just had anxiety. Well, okay, guy had anxiety, guy had something. But I feel like a large contributor to him getting that was where he lived and the way that he was made to exist. Of like, oh god, I hope I somehow remain wealthy enough in my shitty little plot of land. It is, yeah. In hindsight, it's like, yes, he kind of, he was always like the least trusting in the plan. But he did, like, commit to the plan from what it seems. And... Yeah, it just didn't work. It, it, Serene's plan just did screw him over like he was worried about, it It sounds like. Um, and the fact that everyone in Serene's crew is like, yeah, fuck that guy. Idiot. Running, running away. What's wrong with him? Dude had a rough deal. I can't wait to see him explode and fucking die. <laughs> they were, the, the whole crew was also like, there's too many people here. We need to thin the ranks. Thank God he's <laughs> gone. Yeah, then the <laughs> ranks explode. <laughs> but do you die and then explode, or do you explode and then die? You explode and, explode and fucking die. It's a very important order. Right. <laughs> there is uh, there's a a brief bit here uh, where Serene is seeing uh, Shuden. And I think that in the grand scheme of things, and especially in the, in this chapter and what does transpire, uh, Serene's romantic troubles seem like a, a bit of a, a less important element. Uh, but I, I do think that there is there is something there of she's had quite the the shitty hand dealt in in terms of romantic relationships. And there's that moment of, you know, shooting as a friend. And he is having a lovely time with a, a girl who they seem to be quite in love with each other. And you want to be happy for that. But Serene is also just a little bit bitter of why, why do things keep happening that prevent me from experiencing that? And then we get the allegory of Greyo. 
Grot my you. favorite <laughs> part of the Bible. Poor Grail. Yeah, I agree. I, I agree that that is like, that is a very legitimate thing for her to be feeling. But I feel like we have A, seen it before. B, then go on to tell the allegory of Grail. And C, it happens again when she sees another couple like two seconds later to the point where Royal has to be like, okay, <laughs> stop it. Do I have to yeah. do the speech twice? <laughs> Um, yeah, I actually, I, I agree. Well, we've had so much of, um, Serene bemoaning her spinster status, um, to the point that's gotten annoying. I actually liked getting the Greyo allegory and, and learning a little bit more about the details. I'm mostly just baffled we're getting it on page 368. Like if we had, if we had heard this story a lot earlier on, I think I would still want less bemoaning on the spinster status, but, um... I think this, I, I don't know, I just like getting some actual details of why Serene feels the way she feels about her life back in Teo. Um, and yeah, I did like this story. I just think it comes maybe a little too late, too little too late. Yeah, and then we just kind of get Serene and Royal just taking a quick tour of the party and just checking in with everybody very briefly. Um we get we're finally got remember all those pins we keep putting stuff we're gonna take one of those pins out now um because when lukel shows up um he starts making fun of royale and serene for being together and then refers to the height difference between serene and royale and it says serene stood a full head taller than royale did now i i had to go back and double check to make sure i wasn't imagining things the first description we get of Royale is that he is spindly, which if we check Merriam-Webster, does imply that he is long and or tall. I interpret it as tall because he's a human. <laughs> and you're telling me that, okay, Serene's not six feet. She's almost six foot. Let's put her at 5'10". If someone is a head shorter or taller than you, the difference is apparently, I looked this up, like about nine inches. <laughs> If you're telling me Royale is five foot two and the first description we get of him is that he's spindly, that's bullshit, Brandon. Who's tall and who's not? Get it straight. <laughs> There's two possible explanations here if we want to keep all of this canon, which is one, in this universe, a foot is actually a longer metric of distance than it is in our world, or... Everyone on this world is just five to six inches shorter on average than people on Earth are. <laughs> that there's, there's, it's, I, 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 which one is it, Brandon? Tell me. I need to know. It, it could very well be the latter, because there is a planet elsewhere in the Cosmere that mm -hmm. it is established its inhabitants are on average a fair bit taller than everyone mm -hmm. else because their gravity is less than Earth's. Mm -hmm. So maybe Cell just has more gravity. As far as I know, I think it is the hidden third option of just that spindly was perhaps the wrong word choice. <laughs> Not possible. Get it, it together, has to Brandon. Be the gravity thing. <laughs> you know who? Uh, you know who said that? By the way, to Serene, the whole kickoff thing was Lukel, uh, accompanied by Lukel's dark-haired wife, whose name remains Jala. But thank you for reminding us that she is his wife, Brandon. <laughs> Serene remembers her name, at least. <laughs> Maybe that's Serene reminding herself, like, Shit, Jala, what was her name? Jala. His wife. Jala, <laughs> Luke, his wife. I can 
<laughs> there's a really weird comments where like it's supposed to be about how women should get to choose which men they marry but out of context Lukel looks at his wife and says ah you take what you can get what the f- that's supposed to be a compliment what the fuck <laughs> yeah I don't know <laughs> <laughs> Summary of this chapter. Uh, yeah, pretty much. Yeah, trucking and going, <laughs> I don't know. But in increasingly distressed tones as we get towards the exactly. end. Exactly. <laughs> and then we get to Ahan, who he's he's, mm. yeah, he's by the food, which is funny because he's fat. It's really funny that he's so obsessed with the food. Ha ha ha. Isn't that funny? But that happens after Royal's Seon, Opa, comes up. Opa! Opa! Suvlaki! <laughs> Saganaki! <laughs> Say, someone fell in the fountain. I've just been tending to the gardens in as much as one can without hands. Right, as an orb. <laughs> it also bobs formally, which I don't know how you do, <laughs> being, as far as we can tell, a nearly featureless orb. <laughs> Maybe it, it's it's like a an Elcor in Mass Effect, where it has to state whatever its emotion exactly. is because they don't have expression, so it just dips up and down and goes, Formal! Uh, I'm thinking of a uh, very brief tangent to a video game that is related by simply by Sion's being kind of weird energy orbs Uh, but it was a thing that that always kind of struck me as funny uh, was in the game Dota uh, which has a lot of complexities to deal with uh, one of those complexities is that your characters uh, have a, a turning speed where if you try to just like run the other way, your character has to first turn around and then will go the other way, uh, which makes kind of maneuvering and escaping just a little bit more difficult if you're facing the wrong way. Uh, the only character for which this is not true uh, is Io, the Wisp, who is just a glowing orb of energy and has no distinguishing features in any direction and so can just go in any direction without turning around because there is nothing to turn around. <laughs> Because that's I the kind of game that... it is. <laughs> I hope that at one point they did have a turning speed and then some beta tester was like, wait a minute, this makes no goddamn sense. They're an orb. And the devs had to be like, you're right. I guess. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, Opa is here uh, tending to the gardens. Somebody fell in the fountain. There's all sorts of goofy shenanigans going on. Uh, we have the the next chapter of the uh, the riveting saga of the sour melon deal where <laughs> the sour melons why do they keep coming up what is this brandon <laughs> it, it there's there's deep trade negotiations going on apparently ahan had a uh, uh also had a, a line on uh doing doing some trade with sour melons and uh royal and mostly um lukel had uh, had gotten the scoop on him and, and he's gonna gonna lose a bunch of money and it, they all laugh because they're all rich and this really doesn't matter in the grand scheme <laughs> but then uh, then ash arrives and says that iodon is leaving the party early uh, and things start turning so let's go follow that thread uh, we start following that thread by uh serene literally just running off uh and and Roeyal is is trying to 
you know, say, hey, we're having a party. I was enjoying the company here. You can't just leave. And she just says, nope, and runs away. And she's taller than him, so she can run away. Uh, things immediately uh, get kind of m more sneaky as uh, this is this is a trick that gets pulled in Mistborn with somebody getting out of a, a carriage without people noticing. Uh, but Iodon has has gone to the where the carriages are where he would expect to go home in his his fancy vehicle uh and just got right in got right back out and snuck off into the shadows and the carriage is is going home so serene is going to follow him on foot and we have an impromptu stealth mission here this uh shortly takes us to the city sewers uh which are at least big enough to clamber around in but are definitely not a pleasant place uh, and at this point ash starts sandbagging because he realizes this is a terrible terrible idea and serene shouldn't do this uh and it only very briefly helps before serene does it anyway he does sandbag but i'm realizing in hindsight there's this conversation of like you can't do this you have to stay here you shouldn't do this and then later on um serene is like Remember, Ash, it's Mayadol, which is the day. What's special about that day? And Ash, who really should by this point realize of like, oh, yeah, that's the day that Serene keeps saying all the secret passages are on. And he's like still not getting it. And I'm curious in hindsight if this is also Ash just stalling and he fully knows exactly what the plan <laughs> is. And he's just trying to get Serene to stop walking for just a second. Either way, I do really... That that's a line I could hear really clearly. She's like, "And what happens every every week on Maydal?" And he goes, "Your father plays Shinda with Lord Eodin." <laughs> like, what the fuck? I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. <laughs> Why am I checking the calendar? Why am I checking everyone's schedule? <laughs> uh, other lines in this segment that I quite like uh, is Serene threatening to just go into the sewers anyway if uh if ash goes to get help uh and he says you would never do something that foolish you are indeed that foolish <laughs> what good could the king be doing in the sewers at midnight it's not a good setup like wherever this went no. and it's a pretty drastic place that it does go to i don't think there was anywhere good it could have gone but yeah we are we're, we're adventuring through the sewers the thing that does happen on maydal like we said is that that is one of the times that Serene has been logging uh, secret passage sounds. And so her working theory is that uh, at very specific times of the week, the king is sneaking out of the palace to do something. Uh, this party, the, the astronomy worked out quite conveniently uh, because this party was an excuse to get Iodon to be somewhere out of the palace late at night on this specific day uh and her hunch was uh he's he's going to go to the party because he has to but then he's going to leave and we can follow him and we're doing that now uh and uh yeah this is uh ash saying what's what sam brought up is what good could the king be doing the sewers at midnight and it's just a couple of paragraphs later where we find ritual blood sacrifice Oh boy. Oh boy. Like, as of this point, Iodon has been, like, kind of a dick, 
but largely just like an ineffectual leader. So it's like, it's, I don't know if like fucking Grover Cleveland's administration ended because he, he, he was impeached because he was doing blood sacrifice in a sewer. Beth, yeah. The fact that you just brought up Grover Cleveland is the most hilarious shit in the world, and let's put a pin in that. Oh no, what? <laughs> Don't worry about it. Uh, so yeah, let's uh, let's take a look at uh, both Sam and Caleb's notes for these this section, uh, which read, uh, okay, the king is in a sewer sacrificing a woman to a weird god, and oh, okay, what the fuck? Okay, cult shit, cool. <laughs> yeah, how do you how do you analyze this? <laughs> just this uh just the paragraph where where things go off the fucking rails the king stood facing her behind an altar a red streak knife raised in his hand he was completely naked except for the blood smearing his chest the remains of an eviscerated young woman lie tied to the altar her torso sliced open from neck to crotch where are we are we st- are we still in Erlon? what the fuck is happening zany children's book <laughs> Saney children's book be damned it's over the illusion has been shattered but like very suddenly shattered like out of fucking nowhere shattered and this is in universe this is equally as sudden where serene may get in over her head on these things and and she was definitely kind of making it up as she went of I'm going to follow the king and see what I can find out. But even for her, this escalates so suddenly that she just freezes and screams because what else do you do? This is like, this is like if you were watching Degrassi and then all of a sudden Jimmy Brooks, there's, there's an episode where, Oh, Jimmy Brooks has a secret and the secret is he's a, like a serial killer. (laughs) I thought this was the grassy. <laughs> the par- comparison I came up with was like, because you no, know, we mentioned that like, there's been certain mysteries that are quote unquote foreshadowing this, even though you can never put it together. And for whatever reason, my brain just went to like in Star Wars, this Luke at the very beginning mentions that he wants to go to Tashi Station, and I'm just imagining they get Leia off the Death Star, they get back to Yavin. But the Death Star's tracked them with the tracking beacon. It's about to explode the, the the world and they have to figure out how to destroy it. And someone just runs in and is like, okay, Empire, still a problem. Death Star, still a problem. Slightly good news. Um, Darth Vader was just arrested for masturbating outside of Tashi Station um, in a public area. <laughs> uh, we, we don't have to deal with that anymore. That, you know, it's, we didn't really expect that, but uh, that problem is gone. Um, so Death Star, Death Star. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, you know, we'll see the the outcome of this this chapter in a little bit, but yeah, the the whole Iodon being a terrible ruler and and trying to deal with that uh, problem solved, I guess. <laughs> now new problems, <laughs> right? So the actual uh, finale of of what happens in the sewer. Uh, is very brief and and not depicted very much uh, because uh, Ash did go and get help and was definitely stalling. Uh, So fortunately, Eondel has arrived, can save the day again, 
uh, as the the competent swords person. Uh, Diloph is also there, just being creepy. Just, just chilling. Just watching. And Royal is also there. Like, all of these people were like, yeah, the, the sewage in the sewers is ankle deep, but we all need to be there to see whatever the fuck this is. Even though <laughs> none of them know that there's a murder sacrifice happening. They're just like, we gotta go check out why Serene left to follow the king. This is also, it's a very weird, you mentioned it's the second time Eondel saves the day. It's very specifically introduced as, then Eondel was there. Um, the first time it's just, then Eondel appeared. I, I don't know why it's so consistent that he has to jump scare from off screen to save the day. <laughs> um, but even the presentation of him appearing is almost exactly the same. So yeah, let's uh, let's see how this can can possibly wind down here. Uh, we we learned that Ash's exact uh, communication to Opa and to Royal was the foolish girl is going off to get herself killed, which is an <laughs> accurate summary. And Serene once again threatens to kick someone. She she's going to kick Iodon for uh, making actual military training so unpopular uh royal says you you probably have to get in line from everybody else who wants to kick him for you know engaging in ritual cult sacrifice and ash has to remind them specifically of the cult sacrifice part because they're kind of letting that uh letting that part slip from their mind and and they do need to take this some seriousness yeah, it's like banter, banter, fun, fun. Oh, Ash, oh, you. A woman was eviscerated tonight. Yeah. <laughs> and apparently this has been happening consistently for like months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Like you mentioned, like, we'll see how this winds down. They wind down very rapidly and they have to like get wound back up by being reminded <laughs> of the murder. It's also like thinking of thinking of all the murders. <laughs> It's just making me realize that, like, by sheer coincidence, even though it's involved in, like, this religious takeover and a lot of, like, authoritarianism involved, by coincidence, maybe Hraithan's strategy actually would have been best because it's probably good that Eodon's not on the throne anymore. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, uh, it's one of those kind of funny things where... I mean, Serene herself had this back and forth of, like, right away on arriving in Aralon, she's she did not get along with with Iodon very well, and then uh, Hraithan arrived and was clearly a, a bigger threat. And there was that uh, when they when they tried to financially stabilize Iodon, there was a moment where they talked about it. Of I thought we didn't like him, now we're funding him, and and now he's deposed. And it's it's a very, very strange back and forth. Yeah, there's even a moment where Serene is like, there's no chance of keeping it under wraps then. Serene, he did a lot of murder! Yeah! He, he should know! Tell the world! That's, that, it's not until next Serene chapter, but that's not the most fucked up thing Serene says about this whole situation. Put a pin in yeah. that too. <laughs> yeah, that will be uh, the end of this Serene chapter for now that pretty much wraps it up um uh ahan arrives says that uh that Idon is in jail uh 
Diloff has has already told everyone, so that's that's not going to work out. And yeah, that will be it for Serene. It's time to check back in with Hraithen for a page and a half. For the hottest of minutes. Because the timelines are still lined up. So this is... Uh, this is during the eclipse. And it's been... It's been three days. Hraithen is not doing well. Uh, this is a, a consequence of what has exactly uh, transpired here of he's getting very hungry and very thirsty uh, but he's continued his prayer and the the eclipse happens this night and he takes some time to to think about uh jesker the uh the religion that galadon has talked about uh, he does briefly mention the mysteries and says that they they often do rituals on such nights and he is very very right uh, but then he's he's thinking about about Jesker, who are apparently a a more nature focused faith, uh, and as he's three days into this this ordeal of his, and he sees something as incredible as an eclipse, he can think about you know maybe I I see why people would would worship that, uh, but that leads into uh, him thinking through the way that he interacts with Shudareth. Uh, and he he comes to a bit of a conclusion, which is that he's not going to have these kind of single, like, awe-inspiring moments in his faith. What he has is a, a very logical process of this is why I believe and practice what I believe. And what he realizes is that that is enough for him. That's that's a good reason and that's a good feeling. And he doesn't have to be the the single dawning moment that something like an eclipse would provide. So short but a fascinating chapter, I think. Oh yeah. I love this chapter. It's quite cool. <laughs> Yeah, it actually... Sorry, I just I remember that I had thoughts. Um, <laughs> uh, it's it's also more misborn DNA of Sazed thinking about, like, can you have faith and be faithful to a religion through logic alone, or do you mm-hmm. need to have some greater, um, uh, deeper meaning in your heart that your brain can't quite comprehend? Um and yeah, I don't know. It's it is interesting that Raithen, who is in the middle of a crisis of faith, is kind of thinking to himself, "No, nah, the logic's fine. I, I I'm fine with just the logic. That's probably going to be okay." Anyway, can I get out of here? <laughs> yeah. Also, this is extremely physically taxing, and I would like this torment to be over, please. <laughs> but yeah, it does seem like he doesn't come to much of a revelation here. I mean, it's a re- it's it's a revelation in that he learns that he believes in God because of the way he thought he believed in God. It's like the universe was telling him, "Yes, that's correct," and he was like, "Cool, all right." Time for some bread. <laughs> some moldy bread. He eats the nasty food that's been sitting out there for three days, but it's food. But yeah, that is uh, another very brief, Hraithen uh, chapter. And the way that uh, the way that things line up, 
uh, is we're not actually going to get back to him in person until the opening of our next section. Uh, we do learn a thing or two that happened since then, but uh, we'll have to see once we're done with this recording, we can actually uh, check in with, with Raythan himself. Our last Raoden chapter of the section, chapter 34, we start with a uh, a follow-up to the the effort against Sheor, which has turned out to to end one way or the other, though perhaps not the way that uh, Raoden quite predicted, which he did have some success in in the idea of trying to to show them civilization to to bring that back to them. But also there's kind of a a more, I don't know if it's exactly straightforward, uh, a more kind of passion-driven reason, which is that these these men, uh, they followed Sheor in a, a very kind of worshipful, devoted way. And as it says, Raoden dethroned their god. He, he marched in there, he did what he needed to do, and he left, and Sheor had no power over him. And so that kind of deflates Sheor's power over the whole group, and it does not end well because it's it, the morning after, it says, uh, they come to deliver, a, I guess, a trophy of sorts, which is uh, Sheor's wig, and they never find her body. So that's disturbing. What the fuck <laughs> is happening? Bad. Just all of a sudden, just uh, uh, everything is bad and weird. I feel gross. I feel like I need to take a shower after this section. <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, I guess like both Caleb and I predicted it's at some point or another and in various different contexts that uh, Tellery and Sheor would meet again, but I guess the fuck not. <laughs> yeah, uh, she's gone. Hmm. It's just goodbye. Uh, hmm. It's it's not it's not it's not good. It's bad. No, um, and it continue uh... it continues to be deeply weird because uh, Sheor's men are weird like worker drones at this point where Raoden just like tells them to do things and they do it and they don't really exist much beyond that but hey they're using the sled the sled came back are you happy about yeah. the sled, God God damn the, sled. Yeah. Yeah. the payoff continues baby <laughs> uh yeah getting big uh coloss vibes from these guys just these big in like insane creatures they can take orders and they'll follow who is whoever's most powerful but they can't form any complex thoughts um and they're just kind of scary having them just lying around <laughs> um yeah it's, it's weird it's bad elantris weird and bad gotta make another postcard that yeah we got a whole thank you whole series of postcards now <laughs> So the only thing that Reardon can do clearly is to uh, study more aeons, which yeah. <laughs> must be a pleasant diversion. What else are you going to do? I mean, honestly. Hey, we got another pin we can take down. It's been one whole Reardon chapter since he was like, we got to keep the books on lockdown. Can't let them get out. Can't let them get dirty. Can't let them. He's just got a ton of books on the table out in the chapel. Just, <laughs> just out and about. 
They had the, the people were accustomed to seeing him with books. They hadn't thought to question. It's fine. I don't even know if there's going to be like a negative payoff to this. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just we spent a whole page last chapter talking about how important it was to keep the books on lockdown. And now Raiden <laughs> has immediately given up on that. Book time. We also have the resolution of a mystery that I don't know if needed solving, but it does get solved here. I wanted this solved. I had no theories, but I think in episode one or two, I was like, what's the deal with the slime? I got to figure out what's the deal with the slime. I can confirm that that was in episode one because your question is noted on my spreadsheet as weird goop. What's with the weird <laughs> goop? Gotta say, <laughs> even though it feels inconsequential to the rest of the plot, fucking love this explanation. I, I just think this is really cool. I, I think it's a really well thought out world detail that I really like. Everything was covered in fungus, and the fungus died. Amogus. Amogus. <laughs> <laughs> but that's cool. Yeah, it's just Elantrian's like, ah, you know, everything's covered in fungus, but it's kind of cool fungus, so we're right. cool with it. Yeah, no, it we're was, fine. It was cool fungus. <laughs> and then it all rotted. And, Until uh, it died. Yeah, and the only people who would have known anything about that were, uh, were gone. So it's like a weird offhand comment of like, have you heard Kahar talk about how difficult it is to scrub away? Anyways, we're still making him do it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. There is uh, also some some talk with no clear resolution, really, about uh, about Seons. Because it's uh, it's something that Raodin was kind of hoping that he might find with, with all this info is something about how Seons get created. Uh, but nothing on that the only the only thing he knows is that a a Sion gets passed from person to person uh either when you die as as kind of part of your will i guess or you can you can do it before that you can bequeath your your Sion to someone and yeah that chatter just kind of goes for a little bit and then we hear about the development of what's happening with Hraithan uh, which is that he's apparently been healed. He's back, baby. Good. Get, get, I I don't know. Get that boy in some blood red again. <laughs> we need we need the blood red. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that is uh, the end of the chapter. There, the big dramatic moment, and uh, we'll we'll go to see what uh, Serene is up to before she learns about the big dramatic moment. <laughs> so. For our last chapter of the section, we're back with Serene, uh, and she is uh, checking in with her father. We're back with, uh, we're calling Evanteo on the, the Sion phone again. <laughs> and uh, the two of them start with uh, some kind of, they, they start with a, a bit of banter with uh, Evanteo saying, you know, you're you're there for five weeks and you've already dethroned the king. You know, what what did I even expect? Uh, but I think rightfully so that very quickly kind of breaks down and the, the two of them were probably just doing that as routine. Uh because <laughs> the Serene, king is dead. Serene has, has <laughs> the king is dead and Serene has been through some shit. Uh yeah, and, and actually that's I, I kind of lumped all that in together, but the last we saw of Iodon, he had uh, merely been put in jail. Which I guess you can do to the king. 
I mean, extenuating circumstances. I know, like, it's it's actually, like, legitimately fascinating to be in a kingdom that is 10 years old. Because a lot of things just, I feel like, have probably not been codified fully. Um, and, yeah, it's like, yeah, when the king murders someone, what what do you do with, about that? <laughs> Apparently you just put him in jail. <laughs> and what is that? Uh... Yeah, it was just Eondel did it, probably because yeah. he was the only armed person in the room. <laughs> yeah. And I guess that's, like, kind of a coup in itself. <laughs> which, like... It kind of is. They had they had been plotting a coup. Like, let's be clear. Like, they, <laughs> they were already trying to depose him and then kind of backtracking on that and that whole weird thing. But, yeah, eventually, a guy with a sword is just going to go, hey, get in the jail cell. <laughs> the gang accidentally commits a coup. But, uh, yeah, uh, Iodon was was not long in prison. Uh, he was able to uh, acquire a rope and has committed suicide. So, uh, and both uh, Evanteo and Serene be ki- being kind of practically politically minded, uh, they say... You know, it's, uh, it, it, that's, I guess, kind of practical because we don't need to worry about what you do with the, the monarch in jail. And now he's dead and we can just figure out succession. Very darkly, uh, Serene legitimately guesses that Andel just gave him the rope, uh, yeah. which is very dark for the zany children's book. <laughs> I had a chip in prediction. Uh, you know, one line break away, when she's talking about Royal being all rich, I was like, how are they going to stop Tellery from taking the throne? Marry and Royal. And we'll get there. My thing was, if you just fake Royal's death and in his will give all your money to Serene, you could also <laughs> do it that way. And I was a little bummed they just went with the marriage. But Royal wouldn't have that. He wants to, he wants to have a lady because he's a weirdo. Because he's a weird old creep. <laughs> Early Royal would, but the end of this chapter, he very explicitly is like, I don't, I don't care. I don't like. That's not. I don't need that. Um, but yeah, it was. Well, I was reading all this, and they keep talking about like it's got to be Royal. We got to put Royal on the throne. And just in terms of real world history, I feel like Eondel, being the military leader who arrested the king, is actually probably the way more likely candidate. Um, following real-world trends to become the next king. Um, But I guess within 10 years, this idea that the richest person gets to be king has become really heavily ingrained. I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of a dumb, dumb way of living. Can you imagine if the really rich just got whatever they wanted? God, that sounds terrible. Sounds like a true (laughs) dystopia. And, And then we have a long, pointless conversation about food. Yeah. We do. We have a very long, very pointless conversation about food. Wait, wait, wait. Before, I have another pin to take down. Because <laughs> we got... I mentioned Serene says something more fucked up. She says, Telri is even worse than Eodon. Girl, one of those two is a serial killer. Are you, are you absolutely sure Telri is a worse... Like, 
I, I understand that she's like concerned about the well-being of the country, but the implication here is that she would rather have the serial killer stay on the throne and keep murdering people than let Telri take the throne. It, like, if Phelan became king, I know he's a fucker, <laughs> but if that happened and Vin was just like, man, I really wish Lord Ruler was still around, that would be fucked up. It would. Yeah, I don't know. I I can't really uh can't really get behind Idon as above Telri on on the rankings. Yeah, very suddenly as well. <laughs> as of last chapter, I don't think yeah. I can get behind. Yeah. Yeah, he 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 seemed like the better option, but knowing what we know now, I don't think I can stand by that statement. <laughs> There's no time to think about that. We have to talk about food well, and how week, if so- it burns it is it healthy yeah that's true that's a true i fact. could set that some lettuce system. on fire i'm pretty sure well that wouldn't be good for you <laughs> <laughs> you know what you got me there <laughs> if i set some lettuce on fucking fire and then ate the ashes that probably wouldn't be good for my liver you're right be bad well, the ashes, I mean, if you're eating the hot ashes, it would burn you, but... Yeah. <laughs> if you let them cool, maybe they're fine. Does anyone remember Auto-Tune the News? Oh, yeah. <gasps> oh, yes. Aware. Do you remember the episode where somebody was talking about uh, smoking dried lettuce? Yes. I have most of that song memorized still <laughs> for no earthly reason. I sometimes forget my father's birthday, but can still remember that it's not the nicotine that kills. It's the smoke, the smoke. That's the one. This is valuable knowledge. <laughs> but Evan Teo says, uh, Serene says if it burns, it isn't healthy. And Evan Teo says, I haven't had a cup of wine in 10 years. Does wine burn? I think really strong wine could sometimes be referred to as burning. But yeah, that also, like... You think you would have mentioned like whiskey or tequila or like something that legitimately people describe often as burning when you drink it. 75% ABV wine, baby. <laughs> oh, hey, God. better that than a glass of water, apparently. Let's not forget <laughs> yeah. that that's a rarity here somehow. Doesn't that what plants crave? <laughs> it's true. Also, I just want to take a second to say that all of you, all of you fans, all of you believers that uh, Serene's mother is dead. It's, it's not looking too good now. Right nope, she cooked some like, food. I'm not saying it's. She cooked some not. weird food. But here's the thing. Oh boy. It's not. It's, it's, not, it's not over. It's <laughs> it's it's a little up to interpretation because my thing was, it seems like Evanteo might be might have a delusion that his mother is still alive because of the weird scene end of, I have to go get your mother. And Serene goes, no, don't go get my mother. And then the scene just ends very randomly. So if this is all in Evan Teo's head, it's still possible. I just feel like it's still really weird, Brandon, that you keep hiding her. We don't even know her name. We've never seen her, even though there is an easy access to Skyping her. I don't get why we have this weird, like, Columbo's wife routine where she keeps getting brought up, but we never get to find anything about her. I wrote that down in my notes, and then as if Brandon was reading my notes as typing, the page ends with Evanteo going, oh, just one more thing. Like, he's fucking Columbo. What is this? (laughs) 
And then the one more thing is completely unrelated to Evan Tao's wife. It's about Shanalan. Pretty much. <laughs> so yeah, there's a pope. There's going to be a pope coming. We might get a pope versus anti-pope battle. The fact that there legitimately was an anti-pope is still incredible. Like in world history, there was an anti-pope. Where I feel like there was one point where there were two at once. Weren't there three popes at once? Yeah, what? that's there what were. it is. Yeah. There so were. Would, would you have a pope, anti-pope, and neutral pope? <laughs> I think we should all place like very firm stances on which was the best pope in that trio. I think we're all well qualified to make these judgment calls. I mean, well, here's the thing. <laughs> it's the Catholic Church, and it was specifically, even worse, the Catholic Church from centuries ago. But anti-pope probably was doing some fucked up shit. I'm just going to go and put money on neutral pope. I don't know anything about him, but that's just probably where my, my mind goes. Look, all you got to know is that the Holy Roman Empire was neither holy nor Roman nor an empire. Classic. <laughs> Classic HRE. Naming things is hard. It is. That's why Brandon didn't do it for Evanteo's wife. <laughs> It would be another woman's name. He already came up with 24 for the embroidery circle. There's he no did. more. He did. That's right. So yeah, uh, Sinalon, who is the uh, the head of the Karathi church, uh, is on the way. And Serene doesn't like him either. But for totally <laughs> mundane reasons. Uh, he is a self-serving egotist with enough pride to make a Dorothy Yorn look humble. And then everyone gets really uppity that she said that. And then she says relax guys and then they do they're just like oh yeah fair enough <laughs> <laughs> so yeah we are we're back to the the group having a, a discussion about what's going to happen to this uh this country now there is a note here about uh Eondel being the one with the sword and the one in charge of the people with swords uh, you know he he's not going to put his weight behind uh Tellry and shouldn't that count for something but uh, unfortunately, Yandel does not have a a large bulk of a force, uh, and Telri also has the support of uh, the Elantris city guards, which we've heard before are not perhaps the most well trained soldiers, but they do have arms and armor, even if some of it is a little impractical, and there are uh, six hundred of them. And the the numbers are definitely not in Eondel's favor here. So actually just seizing full power militarily does not look like it's it's going to work. So they need to find a way again to upset the the financial balance of who can who can make a claim for the throne here. And the the circumstances we we've touched on this leading up to this, the circumstances are that Tellery is very wealthy, probably the richest. Royal is is close but not quite. Uh, Serene also has quite a fortune because she inherited from Rayodin, uh, but none of those individually can can challenge uh, Telri, and so it's time for another political marriage, because uh, all it would take would be for Serene and Royal to get married, and then their combined fortune would uh, would give a a much stronger claim for the throne. So, uh, yeah, as as the the paragraph ends, 
For the second time in only two months, Serene was engaged to be married. It's a very strange life she leads. <laughs> the last part before the end of our section uh, is some more time for Royal and Serene to, to chat. And again, this is the cool Royal. This is the one who isn't being a creep. <laughs> yeah, he's pretty chill. I mean, he even explicitly refutes his own earlier creepiness where <laughs> Serene is is pondering things like lineage and heirs. And he's like, no, nah, it's not going to happen. Don't worry. Yeah, he mentions that, you know, he's probably going to die soon and uh, she should get a third husband. To which, take another pin down, I wrote down in my notes, Rayoden coming in with that Grover Cleveland Riz. only present to be elected twice non-consecutively so uh, Rayodin will be somehow Serene's first and third wife Uh, husband probably but (laughs) yes Uh, yeah that's I I think I think that would be fun and I also just made myself laugh a bunch with the phrase Grover Cleveland Riz and then it became (laughs) infinitely funnier because Beth independently just made a random Grover Cleveland reference earlier Hot source of comedy. Grover <laughs> Cleveland? Cleveland. Yeah, hell yeah. The the mid the middle portion of U.S. presidents ripe for comedy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I really I like this scene. I I've there's been a lot of weirdness with Serene's thoughts on romance and womanhood, and it's been a little a little hit or miss. Generally more miss. Um, but this feels a lot more like game of thronesy of marriage out of uh necessity um that i think is you know really interesting politics and stuff and i legitimately really love the line there are very few men in this world i would consider it an honor to be forced to marry um it's it's such a jumble of a line that i think very (laughs) much communicates just how wild and zany and fucked up serene's life has become and i really like it but that is uh, that's nearly the end of our section. Uh, before first, we have to make fun of how uh, Han is fat. Still, wouldn't it be funny that if you had to marry him, that wouldn't that be gross because he's fat? Ha! We we do it's have funny. to make fun of Han again. That one, I don't oh, know if it's specifically him. making fun of him for being fat. It might just be making fun of him for being a, a kind of like a boring person. But uh... <laughs> she does specify, "Don't make me sick to my stomach," which. I guess could still be based on personality, but it's still, it's, it's weird. Yep. But then our, uh, our, our final section, uh, we're going to see the same revelation that ended our Raiden chapter, but in very slightly, uh, more detail, uh, is that apparently, yes, Hraithen, uh, has been healed and has returned from Elantris. Hela, Hela, Hraithen's back. <laughs> and uh beginning our next section with chapter 36 once we begin that reading we will get to see what uh what Rathen was dealing with in the the last the last parts of his his time in elantris but that will be for next week's episode because we're gonna wrap up there Whew. yeah what a, a what section <laughs> yeah I'm, I'm tired gosh darn let's get into <laughs> casting that nobody's in do we meet anybody sam i have very bad news (laughs) oh no (laughs) no it's another no one isn't it
No, we got Opa. If we want to cast Opa, we we do a... we do yes have a voice for for Opa. He's got a robotic voice. I'll be really quick. I'm casting Tom Carty, um, who is a YouTuber. He's done some funny songs. He's great. Um, I, I I legitimately mostly know him because uh, on Instagram and probably TikTok. I don't have TikTok. Uh, the specific clip from Red Flags of "I tried to get the waiter's attention by blinking in Morse code" um, has has gotten real big recently. Um, yeah, he has a very good rote delivery, so he'll make a mopa. That's fun. Saganaki. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, casting, I think, is going to be pretty tame for the the next few sections. We may be backfilling here and there, adjusting. But uh, yeah, that was uh, that was it. Let's try to deal with everything that just transpired here. <laughs> oh Lord, I'm very quick in my predictions here. I have very little. I I think it's interesting because there was like obviously there was a a ton that happened, I, but it was a lot of like there were payoffs for some things with uh, us like seeing what. Prathen's poison did and there were huge events but like anything related to what happens to Iodon has just kind of been suddenly tied off <laughs> and we're done with that so yeah I, I'm curious what we have leading out of here the uh, the pace is going to continue there's only a couple episodes left but yeah what what does what does today's section actually tell us and also, what's the plot of this book? What's this book about? Yeah. <laughs> Still remains. Uh, All right. Uh, yeah, Sam. What? Uh, what are your? What are your quick notes? All right. Uh, so uh, I have two two things. That's it. I just have two two rounds in my in my grand clip today. Uh, one. Uh, Serene's gonna marry Royale. Wow. Uh, but at the last minute, um, oops, Elantrian potion. This is just kind of adding up the pieces I've already predicted. Uh, Caleb's mentioned it as well, Serene with the potion. I'm pretty sure it's gonna happen. Um, when people see it, they're gonna react like they did for Hraithan and tell her to get an Elantris, dummy. And then when she's in it, uh, will she meet with Rayodin and be like, oh, hey, Rayodin? Like, maybe they'll recognize each other as zombie weirdos. Or will she still not recognize him? Who knows? Uh, I don't know. But we've established Hraithan has an extra potion. Uh, it turns people into Elantrians. He wants Serene out of the way. Serene's going to marry Royal. Telri is the reason why she's going to marry Royal. And Hraithan wants Telri. So if, you, if you're smart and you're Hraithan... And you're catching up. You're you're hitting the ground running, coming to Avalantris. You'd you'd be like, all right, how do we dupe this girl into drinking a a gross potion? That would so, be a very we'll... kind of neat linchpin to tie up a bunch of things all at once. For yeah, for her and it, exactly, and it would it would round out a lot of Chekhov's guns. Get get a few of them out of the way. So, yeah, uh, there's one. And then uh, number two, uh, it seems like Diloph and Hraithan are not on the same team anymore. Um, and let me just expound upon this a little. Uh, Diloph is so deft and has been for much of this book 
that I'm starting to feel like they never really were on the same team. Like maybe this isn't just one wayward priest who's power hungry, um, which is great for personality, but not really for a plot for what the book's about. Um, so I think at some point Diloff's going to pull off the mask and do the, it was me this whole time Austin thing. Um, to be clear, he's clearly on the side of Shudareth, but maybe not on the side of Hraithan. Maybe Hraithan thinks that they're playing on the same team, but in reality, Dilaf is on the Diamond Vex. The anyway. Cubs are down two right now. I'd very much like them to come back. Yeah, me too. Coming back is fun. I'm sure uh, they will. So, still to determine, what I think the plot will eventually be about, once it gets around to it, uh, is how this group is going to unite and push against Fjordan once Wern comes a knocking. Um, I'm just assuming, given the cover, that Freythan is going to fight back and be on the side of good, um, Dilaf and Co on the side of evil, and uh, and what's his name? Saganaki, uh, fucking Sinalon, Sinalon. What's he going to do? I don't know. <laughs> probably get shoved into Elantris with everybody else when they're shoving people in Elantris, which I predicted years ago. Um, so we'll see if that happens. But uh, it's going to be a lot. There's going to be lots of happening coming off of real soon. So yeah, there. there's uh, increasingly dwindling amounts of book in this book. That's true. We are running out of pages. I will say with your two predictions this week, uh, you have done a, an incredible thing, which is you have re-lined up your predictions with the chapters on the spreadsheet. Your your episode <gasps> eight predictions now end at the end of the episode eight section, which has not been true <laughs> since like episode two. So nice. You you won a game that you didn't know you were playing. Well done. Yeah, and I don't even <laughs> know what you're talking about. Spreadsheet management. Super cool. Oh, yeah. You got any pivot tables on that thing? Okay, legitimately, I want to write some software to replace this spreadsheet because it's getting out of hand, and I totally could do that, but I have, like, six other projects that I want to work on first, so. <laughs> Can I just say, I don't want to go off on a huge tangent about this, but I do want to mention, like, for hiring managers out there, whenever they ask me about Excel, it feels like your little cousin asking if you have games on your phone. <laughs> do you know how to use pivot tables yes it takes like 10 minutes to learn how to, how to make a pivot table and they're they're, they're more trouble than they're worth I don't like them they're kind of dumb V look up it's called control F <laughs> to all hiring managers out there I am proficient in Microsoft Word just keep that in mind <laughs> I know how to bold you want you want hanging indents? I gotcha. I'm kind of interested <laughs> in the the job demographics of our listeners now. If there are any hiring managers, email me. Let you know or let me know. All right. Let me know. Are is Excel <laughs> the equivalent of games on your phone? <laughs> <laughs> and we'll respond with Caleb's resume. <laughs> All right, uh, Caleb, you are. Uh, you are past the the episode eight mark on the, the spreadsheet, it's though not by gonna a ton. Get worse. Okay, no, it's never gonna mind. get worse. <laughs> okay, uh, have you figured out the plot of this book? 
Uh, not really. I'm going to okay. take some wild shots. Usually I'm wrong on the actual big plot stuff, but I'm, I'm just going to see what I can do. But yeah, I just got a bunch of random ones to try to make it pretty quick. Um, first thing on my sheet, everyone keeps bringing up these sour melons. My guess is that uh, the sour melons are secretly forming a suicide squad with Driak Crushthroat. <laughs> and just all of these random things that keep getting mentioned offhandedly are all going to come together in one massive uh, thing for some reason. I don't know. I don't know why they keep bringing up the sour melons. Don't know why they keep bringing up Driak Crushthroat. Who knows? Oh, shit. Maybe... Oh, hey. Sorry, I just thought of something. I'll throw it in there um, okay. later on. Actually, wait, no. Now it's now it's the point where I was going to say the thing I was going to say. Okay, so my first thing is that in terms of where the big plot's going to go, I think Diloph is shaping up to be the big bad for this book. We don't have enough book left in the book for a lot of book to happen. Um, so I feel like Diloph's going to be the main baddie here, along with Telri as his, his uh, uh, partner in crime. Um, I wrote down just now that Diloph will kill Sainalon um, to throw Shu Korof into uh, uh, chaos and, and really establish Shu Dareth as the most powerful religion. Uh, maybe the Pope's going to get waylaid by a pirate, and that's why they keep bringing up Drew Crushthroat. I don't know. I, I, I have more chips on the Diloph thing, but maybe that's a thing. Maybe Drew Crushthroat will actually be important. Um, I am going to say now, I think Wern and then Jadath himself, who I still think is probably a spooky eldritch horror being, I think those are both now problems for later. I've had a couple of guesses as to what the actual, like, finale of the book will be like those are going to be problems for later um so that won't happen which unfortunately means edan will not explode and fucking die this book unless that's like the cliffhanger in the very last chapter but that could still happen um all right next up take a look at our boy hraithan i'm still putting chips down on that was a potion of become fake elantrian um because there's a couple of different things one, he mentions that he's hungry. He also mentions that he's thirsty. And weirdly, all of the Elantrians we've seen so far have never complained about being thirsty. It's always hungry. So the fact that he's thirsty, I feel like means he has not actually succumbed to the Elantrian sickness become... Like, it's not a full-on thing. I think he's just it's just a potion that has um, simulated the symptoms to get him thrown in because that explains how he heals up i think that is the the secret um is that it was all a hoax um i think here are my some of my thoughts from earlier i think he was all of his big prayers in front of the doors were purposefully performative because i'm sure a lot of people were interested to see wow the giorn i want to see him thrown into elantris they look down they see him just praying fervently for hours on end um, he only eats at night when there's presumably less people around, so it doesn't look like he is desperate and giving in to, um, you know, human needs. He's relying on his faith. Um, and uh, he has now healed up, and I think uh, I am sticking to my prediction that he is basically trying to do a full pivot that might bring him in line with Serene's motivations, even if they're not friends, which is he is pivoting to say everyone should follow Shu Dareth, because look, Shu Dareth can cure being an Elantrian. And if everyone just believes really hard, we can help everyone in Elantris. I think he's doing the full pivot, which will put him directly in conflict with Diloph. So that's what I got for that part. Um, okay. It's very dark. It's very fucked up that we saw the wig. I don't know if Shayor is dead. 
because whenever you don't find the body, there's always a chance the person's still alive. Um, I don't think that'll end up being particularly important, but I think there's still hope for a Sheor Karata uh, mother-daughter dynamic um, if they find Sheor just kind of crying in the streets, being very sad because she's not in power anymore. I think there's still a chance for that. Keeping out hope. Next thing. Um, Ian, the Sion, didn't actually go mad. None of the Sions actually go mad. They just don't know what to do when their masters quote-unquote die but are still kind of alive and they haven't been told to serve anyone else yet. Um, that's why they all just kind of float around the Lantris. They are following their old masters but kind of mindlessly because the masters are like half dead. Uh, that's why Ian keeps flitting around Rayodin. Um, it's basically in kind of a hiatus being like, all right, what do I do now? Waiting for orders. What am I supposed to do? Um, I think Rayodin is going to figure that out and is going to tell Ian to go serve someone else. Probably Serene, maybe Hraithan, depending on how the Hraith Demption goes. I don't think Rayodin will figure out the Hraith Demption is happening, so it's probably going to be Serene. Um... Random guess I have almost no evidence for. Uh, Evan Teo says there's a spy about. He also claims that Serene doesn't know the spy, but that could just be a lie. I'm just going to guess Luke Hell's the spy, just because. Because Luke Hell's doing weird stuff. He's got those sour melons. Maybe he coordinated with Evan Teo to get those those sweet, sweet, important sour melons. I don't know. Um, I feel like there was one point where they mentioned, like, oh yeah, Luke Hell's been away for something, and then he finally came back. And so that would explain why Evan Teo was like, I sent a spy in to take care of you and keep track of you. I don't know. Maybe it's Lukel. I don't know. Um, I've wrote down uh, Chekhov's axe. Um, Keen's uh, house, it mentions he has a, a decorative axe on the wall. I just want the axe to be important. I don't, I don't have a lot of chips on that one. I just think that'd be fun. Okay. I'm going to take a drink of water while I get ready for my last big one. Okay. What's the deal with Dor? The Aeon Door. What's the deal with it? We learned that it exists in a place that's full of pressure, and so the energy pushed its way through any viable exit. I initially thought the Aeon Door was kind of like this entity, essentially, just that's just like living magic. And this makes it sound more just like it's basically just science. You're basically just letting this energy through these little triangle or square-shaped holes. That's all there is to it. Um, but in thinking of like being in a place of pressure and it will get out through very small holes. What if the reason it's not working anymore is because there's a big hole? What if in Elantris, everyone keeps poking little tiny holes in the balloon that then gets sealed up, but then all of a sudden there was a massive rip on the other side of the balloon and that's that chasm on the map. Um, I don't know how like a physical chasm corresponds necessarily to the, I guess, alternate dimension that the Aeon door is in like the, the it's described as being in a place with high pressure um so i don't know exactly how that lines up but i i think the chasm forming is not just we kind of learned it's linked to the Aeon door disappearing uh my theory is now that is literally the cause that is that is a large rip um in the in some sort of reality that is causing all of the magic to basically leak out at once and it can't regenerate fast enough to actually have any function when the people in Elantris are trying to do their little tiny um, rifts in the in the space, essentially. Um, so that's all one thing. Putting a lot of chips on that theory. I have an additional theory that builds off of that one. 
which is that um, uh, initially I was like, maybe the Andor is this living thing. Because we even get the weird description in the nightmare that like there's something almost... I, I feel like it was described as like being a living thing inside of Rayodin's leg. And he's having these visions that something is like actively trying to hurt him. It's not just science gone wrong. And then I was like, all right, well, they described the Andor as just being a science, but it could be the same thing. And that inspired me folks. It's that time you've listened to this podcast for long enough. It's time for me to go through the epigraphs of a previous book and see what I can find. Um, oh, went back to <laughs> Hero of Ages um, to see how the gods work, and we get some uh, weird. Okay, so according to Sazed, there's three aspects to every god. That's basically like their mind, their force, and their body. He says there's a physical one, which can be seen in the creations made by ruin and preservation. That's supposed to be. He says the creations, which could be interpreted as like the colossus and stuff. But from what we see, the that physical body, quote unquote, is. From the examples we see, the mist and the adium. For whatever reason, that's completely separate from the actual, like, normal human bodies that also these gods have. Don't worry about that. That's not important. We still don't know exactly what's going on there. That's fine. Um, there's also a spiritual one in the unseen energy and a cognitive one in the minds that control that energy. And they can all be essentially separated. So if, if, if pieces of metal can be a god's body and mist can also be a god's body, what if... The Aeon Door, this magical substance that allows magic to happen, that's also tied in with a god. Either their physical body or their power, their their their, their spiritual unseen energy part aspect. I don't know how they work. I'm not an expert in this. But what if those are tied to Jadith in some way? Because there's still that really creepy line saying that Jadith is sleeping underneath the world and is waiting to emerge. Um, so what if this magic that can be accessed in a very scientific way, similar to being a Mistborn, is also technically wrapped up in being an aspect of a god, and in Elantris, the Book of Elantris specifically, it all point, all signs point to Jadith. Um, I know that this was written before Mistborn. I don't know if Brandon had this all, like, planned out again. I'm guessing this is probably a, we will not... We will not get much confirmation for this, but maybe way later down the line, some of this will start lining up. But I could easily see Brandon laying a bunch of cool puzzle pieces in Elantris that he's like, I'll get back to that later. Then he gets more into how the gods and the Cosmere work. And then he looks back at Elantris and goes, oh, I could tie some things together there. That kind of makes sense with what I've written here and kind of like retroactively starts piecing all that together. Um, So... Yeah, that's most of it. I don't. This, this could all be nothing. There's a strong chance this is all nothing, but it'd be kind of cool if it wasn't. And knowing that this is all supposed to be a connected universe, I'm looking at how gods work. I'm looking at how magic works, and I'm trying to connect the dots as best I can. And those are all the dots I can connect for now. But yeah, could happen and would be interesting if. That's all. All I got. right. <laughs> a thing that is not necessarily related to your predictions being right or not, but that stuff in Hero of Ages where, where Sazed talks about the, the three aspects, uh, I'm going to give it a term because it has a term. Uh, it's called realmatic theory. Uh, and I need to figure out now when we're going to talk about that. Because it's <laughs> one of those things that like, 
we learned some of it from the books, but we also learned some of it from just like asking Brandon and he told us. So yeah, no comment on whether you are correct in this particular case, trying to, to link it to Andor, but I do need to figure out when we're actually going to talk about that stuff because it's cool. Interesting. As always. Uh, yeah, let's see where we're going from here. We are, we're running out of episodes in this book. We are going to be covering <laughs> the middle third of, uh, of part two here with a whopping 10 chapters, Jeez. uh, which I believe is, it's, I, it's our biggest section of the book. And I think it's our biggest section in chapter count of anything we've done. Uh, one of those chapters is less than 300 words. <laughs> nice. So, yeah. Good, good to check in with Raythan for 20 seconds. <laughs> uh, you're right. That's a Raythan chapter. <laughs> God damn it. He's my favorite to read. Uh, yeah. So, uh, all the way from chapter 36 to chapter 45 for next week. Uh, that will be episode 9. Uh, we only then after that have episode 10 to finish part two and episode 11 to finish the book. So we're uh, we're barreling down on it. And one of these episodes, we're going to figure out what the ultimate plot is. <laughs> it will be the last episode. <laughs> That's very possible. Okay. Uh, other than that, I think I can tell folks where to find us and where to contact us about increasingly tangentially related things uh, <laughs> because all of these episodes are available at alwaysanotherpodcast.com uh, as well as our email is available at contact at alwaysanotherpodcast.com uh, that's the best one if you want to talk about future Cosmere stuff because Beth and I take a look at that first uh, that's also the one where you can ask for Sam's thesis, ask for Caleb's resume. Uh, what else was it last week that we were offering via email? All sorts of stuff. Oh, right. Uh, HBO offering for Caleb to write the Westing game script. Oh, yes. <laughs> Once the strikes are resolved. Once the strike's yeah. over, I ain't no scab. Uh, all of those things and, and more. Uh, you can also find us on our social media platforms, Twitter at alwaysnotherpod. Instagram at always another pod and Mastodon at always another pod at kind.social. Those are all the places that you'll find uh, info about new episodes coming out uh, and other miscellaneous nonsense. Uh, until then, we are going to sign off and read some more of this book and figure out where we go after the murder cult chapters. <laughs> Things could only go up from here, probably. We'll hold you to that. <laughs>